1: And welcome to the Pride of Detroit PODcast, Detroit.com, Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook. We tell you every time, but you know where to find us. Pride of Detroit everywhere as we come to you live with the Pride of Detroit PODcast where you can download the Pride of Detroit BOT, PODcast from Twitch, um, oh God, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, I Heart radio. I'm getting tripped up every time we do this. And what I meant to say at the start, you can watch it live on twitch.tv slash pride of Detroit and on youtube.com slash C slash pride of Detroit, where you can, you can catch those replays on YouTube as well. It gets longer and longer. Every time I say it, I'm going to just keep tripping over my tongue like Daniel Jones trying to run in a touchdown. Uh, my name, as you can't tell, is Christopher Fett. P-E-R-F-E-T-T at Christopher Fett on Twitter. The adequate host, as you can tell, because I'm being incredibly adequate. uh, It's been a long weekend. It's been a long week. We uh, have finally wrapped a damn marathon when it comes to our draft coverage. I think let me bring in Jeremy Reisman, the fearless mustache at Detroit Online. Jeremy, you still. Oh, wow. The mustache is still there. It somehow got back from uh, from being blue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I
2: just grew this one in in a couple hours. So we're good.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's impressive. That's impressive. I believe uh,
2: we're tired, but we're going to get through this podcast. And I mean, I'm excited. There's there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of draft picks that happened. There are a lot of exciting draft picks that happened. And uh, I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'm I'm, I'm getting an adrenaline rush here because after this podcast, I am going to fall asleep for 15 straight hours.
1: Yeah, I uh I did that after day 2. Listen, we're not digging ditches here though, so it's not like we're, you know, complaining about how long we are working. If you if you're out there like delivering papers or stocking shelves, we give it up to you, but we're just we're uh we're, we're just mentally processing everything. And the man to help us mentally process everything is the third man of the Pride Detroit POD cast, Ryan Matthews. is the mother At Ryan underscore P.O.D. Ryan, what's up, buddy? Uh, I'm sunburnt and I'm tired because
3: I did do manual labor today. I rode a bike about 12 miles and then I I mowed the lawn. Look at you being healthy. Yeah, you know, I'm going to wake up in the morning when it's raining. I'm going to look outside the window and say, good, we really needed
1: that. Yeah, I probably need to start going on that too. It's uh, been
2: big dad energy so, coming from everyone right big, now big, yeah big yeah dad energy
1: no not from me not from me i'm just i i've no no no, no i got no, i got
3: 16 that. i got 16 days until dirty 30 so i'm going to
1: live it up and it starts You're here be watched on there. the there podcast it starts there in the podcast it starts with the draft it starts with the lions can i say it they were kind of one of the big winners of last night I mean of of the of last week or the weekend. You you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm not sure I do, Chris.
2: <laughs> this is off the rails already. Let's talk about Panay yeah. Sewell. Can we just talk about Panay Sewell? No, I want to get
1: first just general yeah. thoughts on the draft before okay. we jump into Panay Sewell. Just just 2 minutes. Okay. For me, okay. <laughs> I'll jump no, in. No, I mean I can I can give some too. I just it was a uh it was an interesting draft. I think a lot of teams uh it's it's not a draft it was a lot of confusion. I think, I think some fans maybe have some questions about what happened on day two. And I, but I think overall, this was the first step in a very needed step for a long-term rebuild for the Lions. And every pick they really made is going to make, if these hit, long-term dividends. And like, look, it wasn't a sexy draft. It wasn't a lot of like, weapons jump in all over the board, but these were like from when we had, we had on Brett Whitefield, Kentley Lee Platy and Eric Schlitt. And every time, you know, I had some quibbles, they, you know, guys much smarter than me about the draft were jumping in and talking about why some of these picks were very sneaky and I think we saw some of the scouting chops of Brad Holmes on display on some of these picks. And I'm, I'm not saying this, I'm not, you know, I'm not a giant lion slappy people keep accusing me of being the anti Kool-Aid sometimes it's, but it, it, this was, this was uh hope inducing. There were two things
2: that the two major themes that I got out of this lion's draft class. One is that needs was not high on their priority list they were getting dudes they were getting guys that they liked guys that were high on their draft boards and kind of said to hell with it with everything else and and a lot of the focus is on the back-to-back defensive tackles but really the the third pick in that day the the outside quarterback and Ifadu Mel- Melifanwu that that wasn't a pick of need lines don't ne- didn't necessarily need an outside corner which is where I think he's going to play they needed a slot and they didn't get one and to me that's not a problem. I rather they go out and start off their rebuild by just getting as many of their dudes in here. Many of the guys, you, you you know, national analysts are calling them kneecap biters. Brad Holmes is calling them gritty players. I'm calling them physical guys that that love the game of football, that that are high character and guys that you know are going to give it to you every single practice, every single snap. And uh, you know, that that's that. And then the, the other thing is that these guys are all athletic. From, from top to bottom, maybe outside of Jamar Jefferson at the end. These guys are super, super athletic guys that, that have high RAS scores, guys that are going to bring speed on defense, pass rushing on defense, um, attack, 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 and, and I mean, that's that, that alone is a breath of fresh air. You know, I, I have some quibbles here and there with, with maybe some of the value picks or, or maybe some of the, the players they got specifically, but in terms of, you know, I, I, I thought it was a sound
3: strategy, and I'm excited about the speed. To speak to that point that you just made, Jeremy, about your your second observation with this draft in terms of the Lions being uh, more more concerned with getting athletic players. Uh, Kent just tweeted out something within the past eight minutes that said, for those curious, the 2021 draft class for the Lions was, in fact, tied for the most players they've ever drafted with a RAS over eight in any class in the last 35 years (laughs) and it's it's tied with the 2019 class um hawk johnson harris oro and fulgham but i mean it it, that that's really what stood out to me too Um, the lions went best player available and there was nothing more um there was nothing more determining of that approach than day two when you know they went um you know they went with a defensive tackle out of washington owns and then follow that up with Aleem McNeil. And obviously I I think I think some people were were scratching their heads with with that, with you know, th- those picks uh in particular. But um, you know, we're gonna get to that. So
1: why don't we just start right up at the top with Panay Let's start with Panay Soul because I think the storyline of Panay is becoming more and more fascinating as the day is going on, even as I'm starting to see some Lions fans start to get really mad about um Missing Justin Fields, if you can even call that missing. And I guarantee you that 80% of that is because Fields did go to the Bears. And look, good on the Bears. They gave away next year's first round pick to go up and get Justin Fields. And uh, they don't have a great offensive line to protect him. Lions aren't going to have that problem because they drafted Pene Sewell, who apparently was the third player, I believe, Jeremy, on Brad Holmes' own big board. After, I would believe, Trevor Lawrence... And Trey Lance, he was high up on Trey Lance. Yeah,
2: we we don't know exactly what uh, Brad Holmes' board looked like, but he did talk with uh, Dave Burkett throughout the weekend and kind of gave a lot of hints and, and I mean, it's a hundred percent clear. They got his got, got the guy that they wanted. They, mm-hmm. he, he talked about being on the phone with the dolphins, being on the phone with the Bengals about potentially trading up and getting Panacea.
1: Yeah, trading up, trading up Which, for, for a tackle there.
2: Yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad they didn't. Let's be clear here because <laughs> uh, you, you know how I feel about trades in, in the draft. They should really only go in one direction and it's not up, but uh, they got the guy they wanted. Trey Lance, I, I guess, he he'd said to Dave Burkett, once Trey Lance was off the board, it was clear we weren't getting a quarterback. And, and so that means, I mean, that tells you all that you need to know what they thought about Justin Fields. So they went, they stuck with their guns. They stuck with their board. They got a guy that I think is a top five talent in this uh, in this draft class. And they got him at a good deal at seven. And, I, I you know, I, I I thought it was the right pick if they were going to stay there. I always, you know, I'm team trade down. So that was my first priority. But in terms of when I really got sold on the pick, it wasn't when we saw Brad Holmes go crazy in the draft room. It wasn't, you know, when I started watching tape or anything like that. It was his press conference right afterwards. And it was talking to his uh, head coach at Oregon. Because, I mean, his press conference, you could see the hunger, you could see the excitement, you could see the maturity, all that sort of thing. And then when I talked to him, talked to his head coach at Oregon, He just told us how impressive he was from day one. And mind you, day one is when he is 17 freaking years old and he's already turning heads on the entire team. He's already getting a veteran uh, offensive lineman to say, hey, put this guy in the starting lineup. I I, I need to play beside him. And he goes out, starts at left tackle as a 17 year old and dominates and never looks back. And so put all that together, put the tape aside. And then, and then you watch the tape and the guy moves, as you said, Chris, like a defensive end, like that dude is fast as hell. Um, I think they're going to run a billion screens to the right because he's going to come out there and just blow people up. I'm, I'm super excited. I'm, I'm, I can't get more thrilled about the Panay Sewell pick at this point.
1: Violent intentions. That's, that's Panay Sewell's own words. He plays with violent intentions. He wants, like, it's a very heavy metal song right there. He just wants to just get after you and, uh, I, I don't, I don't expect that. I, I, am not used to that out of a tackle, but, uh, Ryan, what'd you think of the pick mm. before I give more of my own thoughts?
3: Well, I, I go back to draft night on Thursday and Panay is the pick and Jeremy, um, in a, in a kind way, calls me out for my lack of reaction to Panay getting picked. And I, I just want to think back to 2017 when Frank Ragnow was a pick at number 20 and there really wasn't any reaction that I had to Frank Ragnow either because it's an offensive lineman. So like how, how like up or down are you going to get when it comes to when it comes to that? But, um, personally for me with, you know, as I reflect on Penesual being the pick, he was clearly, you know, aside from Trevor Lawrence and Kyle Pitts, I would have put him number three on my big board. Um, Rashawn Slater was right there too. And I was a big fan of Slater all throughout the process do I have questions about whether or not it's going to be an easy transition for Sewell to make from left side to right side? I mean that that's going to remain until training camp, and training camp's going to happen. And if any indication of how this guy, as Jeremy mentioned, came in, uh, you know, into a situation in Oregon where he started at left tackle as a 17-year-old and kicked ass from from day one, do I have like major concerns that he can uh, make that transition over to the right side? No. Like, I, I am, I'm willing to to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I, I think that he will be able to do that because I don't think that Brad Holmes would have locked himself into Panay Sewell if he thought that that was going to be a problem because Taylor Decker is here for the foreseeable future. Yep. Like and, and he's going to be the team's left tackle. Now, is there, is there an opportunity where things might switch? Because I remember when Taylor Decker came in in 2016 and the Lions had Riley Reef. And they played around the, with the idea of having Taylor Decker play on the right side. And then they just, they're like, nope, like we're going to put Taylor Decker at left tackle. And, um, you know, all that stuff aside, Sewell as a prospect, getting him at seven, whether or not I had Slater ahead of him or not, like there's incredible value there. And it was the, I, I mean, I could even make the argument that the Sewell pick was Brad Holmes addressing the Lions' biggest need. They needed a right tackle. That was the only thing they were missing on their offensive line. And I I think even back to Jeremy's original point about the Melifonwu pick, the Lions didn't need an outside corner. But what Brad Holmes did during free agency is he plugged all these holes with these stop gaps that really afforded him the opportunity to draft best player available at every single selection in the draft. And that started at number seven with Panay Sewell. He followed through on it. I'm I'm really excited about what Holmes was able to do over the course of the weekend and he even traded up <laughs> at one point for
2: Derek Barnes yeah but you said that like it was a good thing though I'm excited
3: about Derek Barnes. I think that's <laughs> yeah, a great Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll get to that. We'll get him.
1: <laughs> so real quick, I am uh, over the moon on Panay Sewell, maybe because I've been listening to too many former offensive linemen, be it Jeff Schwartz or Lincoln Kennedy or n- name them, and I keep looking again. I look again at the fact that Tampa Bay had like maybe three, allowed three quarterback uh What's the right term? It's not um, hurries, um, sure. uh, pressures. Q- pressures, QB pressures. Yeah, like three or four QB pressures in the Super Bowl and no sacks. And Patrick Mahomes, great as he is without his starting offensive tackles, is out there running for his life and loses the game. This is just I, – I, I keep saying it on every podcast. You know, I, I saw a Detroit column saying it was outdated thinking to be going and building on the offensive line. I've got nothing to help you there, man. Like I've got nothing to help you if that's how you think – things work in the NFL right now. And we're going to talk about like, we keep bringing up the defensive tackles. There is a lot of needs. I think more needs on this team than some people realize this team isn't just a quarterback away. It's not just some wide receivers away. And when the board fell that way, when you had three quarterbacks off the board and then the Bengals and the dolphins take wide receivers back to back, they take chase, and they take Waddle, and you have Sewell who falls right into your lap. I'm with Brad Holmes. I don't need the rest of that clock because I'm watching what Sewell did in college. I'm watching that tape, and I'm watching and I'm seeing what that can do. That moves your entire offense, and offensive tackles are players that just give you. They're they're great they're great value in a draft because they play for you for a long time if they're good and they don't really leave your team if they're good because, you know, they like playing with the team and hopefully, you know, they're open to extensions and Sewell apparently grew up as a Lions fan. So that's like a great story there. I, I, I don't, it's, I have no problems with it. I think I gave this pick a solid A. I understand maybe if people wanted Justin Fields, but again, I would rather take this. I would rather take Sewell, who is, in my mind, was is probably one of the more exciting tackle prospects we've had in a few years. And then you can figure out the quarterback in a year or two because this project to rebuild the Lions is going to take a couple of years. And there's more ways to get your quarterback than just, you know, at the top of the draft. And, but guess what? You, you're not going to get star offensive tackles through free agency and usually they're not going to be coming out through trades because you know, you look who the lions, look at some of the guys, the lions have gotten in free agency for their offensive line. It's been, you know, Vitae, Vitae TJ Lang, but like they're, they're always, they're just kind of loose parts. They're not foundations. You get your foundations on your line through the draft full stop. And Sewell, I, I have to say it again. We talk about best player available, just man, he looks good, man. He just he looks aggressive. He looks like, as you say, Jeremy, they're going to run a lot of sweeps, screens, just really keep him involved in all aspects of the game.
2: There are a couple quick things I want to get there before we we move on to our next guys, because you you guys have probably heard enough about tool. But I mean, there's there's a couple things like one is that, you know, the 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 critique that they're they're going old school instead of new school. I think a lot of that stems from the quote from Chris Spielman. And let's be clear, Chris Spielman is not Brad Holmes. Chris Spielman is the one that said maybe today's football is built from the outside instead of the inside out. And, and that got a bunch of people excited saying like, oh, look, now now they're adopting, fo- you know, modern football and things like that. But modern football still requires good play on the defensive line, good play on the offensive line. And and you can look to any team that's had success and, and find that to be true. And then the other thing, I, I, I think I, some I, modern
1: football, I think some modern football is still built from the from the inside out. Yeah, too. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yes.
2: Yeah. 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 <laughs> and and then the other point. Being that I don't care what order this rebuild comes in, and it's something that I've been saying this for for months and months leading up to this draft, where people are harping on, we, we got to get a wide receiver in this draft, we have to get a quarterback in this draft, we have to get a, a starting linebacker, we have to get a starting safety. No, you don't. Because the the 2021 Lions don't need anything. The 2022 Lions need something. The 2023 Lions need something. Because, oh, those are the ones that are actually going to compete for division titles and playoffs. And, and, and God forbid, a, a Lombardi trophy one day. So, get your long-term needs in now because you got all of them. All of your needs are long-term needs at this point. So, if you grab an offensive tackle because think you think he's the best player on the board, good. We can wait on a quarterback because we got time.
3: Yeah. I let me tell you what the Dave Burkett piece today it really uh, soothed a lot of my anxieties that I had um, because I was somebody who was in on Justin Fields, but and and maybe that was part of the reaction and and why when Sewell was the pick and and it wasn't Justin Fields it was like oh okay, Holmes went the very like high floor low risk pick they're taking the offensive tackle, but knowing that knowing that Holmes was in on Trey Lance. Tells me tells me something very important. And what it tells me is that he's not locked into Jared Goff. Okay. This is a guy who scouted Jared Goff. The team that drafted him moved up to get him. The team that, you know, Brad Holmes was a part of extended Jared Goff. Could you find a quarterback that's more different than Jared Goff than Trey Lance? Like that gives me a lot of um Confidence in Brad Holmes ability to scout quarterbacks because if Trey Lance was at the top of their board. You couldn't find a more polar opposite prospect than than Jared Goff. So like that totally washes away and it makes me feel even more confident about their evaluation of Penesul and their selection of Penesul.
1: Yeah. Like the fact that he wanted like he targeted Trey Lance and when he couldn't get Trey Lance, he wasn't willing to then go and reach for the next best thing, which had been Justin Fields at that position. He then went best player available. It's investment for the future. And there's going to be more to quarterbacks next year. I don't care how many people try to trot out the line that next year's quarterback class isn't going to be that good. You're going to talk yourself into that class. But guess what? Lions have capital in 2022 and 2023. They'll, they'll cross that bridge when we get there. But I think we've wasted enough time here. Why don't we take a quick break? Let's talk about day two, day three. Uh, just keep going through. We're going down this draft in order as best we can. We're going to give some more thoughts at the end because I know Ryan's kind of turned up for something. Uh, before we go to break, real quick, we had a charity stream way back and jeremy and i have uh it's been a busy it's been a busy season so we haven't really gotten to pay them all back i am now paying back the haikus that we have promised to people about what What is it now jeremy four four or five months ago
2: yeah one of the perks of there were several perks of of our, our charity drive but one of them was that chris would uh personalize a haiku on a detroit lions topic of your choosing
1: yeah, some of these are a little sad in retrospect because some people have asked for ones on Stafford. Oh, um, no. I will, still, I will still deliver those, you didn't, but – You didn't emotionally prepare me for that. No. Yeah, I'm sorry. But we start this week with Tyler Bostador, and I should have done this off the top. Bad job by me. Tyler Bostador asked me to deliver a haiku on the Lions-Cowboys-Stafford fake spike game. So if I'm going to, like, get like, – buddy up to the mic a little bit here <clears> – <throat> me deliver them i don't really i'm not really i don't really have like a okay he deceives them all a flourish in confusion foe falls to the gambit no no you don't snap on a hike what are you guys doing with i do beat next <laughs> wow okay Well, that's one down, I believe I have, let's see here, uh, seven more to go. So we will be delivering those to you through the off season, Lions haikus, and at some point we'll do more charity drives and I'll continue to deliver those because uh, I'm a dork. Anyway, we're taking a quick break. We'll be right back on the Pride of Detroit POD cast, recapping the entire 2021 draft class.
4: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to the Friday Detroit POD cast. So
1: we, spent, we went a little long on, on round one there, but I want to talk now as we go to day two. I might as well package these two guys together because this was fascinating that the Lions did double dip On day two, between round two and round three, on defensive tackles. They first picked up with pick 41, Levi Onzerike, defensive tackle out of Washington. And then about 31 picks later, at pick 72, took Alan McNeil, another defensive tackle, technically a nose tackle, out of NC State. And these were very interesting picks because I think some Lions fans again, we just had this conversation about best player available about talent versus positional need. And I think some fans at first were kind of had concerns that the lions were taking defensive tackles. But if you listen to our live show, I think it was Kent Lee Platty Mathbaum who joined in and basically was talking about, look, this defensive line, the interior is in a lot worse state than I think we, we know, you know, that the, that, the fact that this, this is just not a good, like they've improved some of the edges, but the interior is not good. It's not arranged for how interior defensive lines really operate right now. It was made to be big guys to hold up the run, whereas Levi and McNeil are definitely more guys who can bring you pressure up the middle on passers.
2: Yeah, let, let's start with Levi because he's an interesting one. I, I like the Alim McNeil pick a little bit better, but Levi is a guy that the Brad Holmes said he almost traded up to get in the first round, so he had a, a very high, you know, grade on him. But he's a little bit of a project because uh, at Washington they had him at the nose tackle, and he showed some pass rushing skills there. And, and you know, he only had seven sacks in, in three years, but a lot of people project his skill set because he's very twitchy, very fast, very like extremely fast first step. And and a guy who can pass the rush when given the opportunity, but when you're right in front of the center, you don't really have that opportunity as much. So a lot of people project him to be a three tech. I think that's where he's going to be here. The Deshaun hand role, essentially, um, which which definitely puts his his job or at least his future in, in question here in Detroit. Um, but it's it's a projection, right? It, he didn't have a ton of snaps over there um, at Washington, so there's a little bit of risk there. But the the athletic profile is there. The I mean, if you listen to his press conference. The the, uh, the 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 desire is there. The want is there. The grit is there. He wants to just fuck shit up, in his words. Um, and so it, it's an exciting pick because the Lions need that interior pass rush. But there's definitely a little bit of risk here. Um, and it's kind of surprising, at least for me, to hear that Brad Holmes almost went up and got him the same way he almost went up and got Panay Sewell, just because there there is a little bit of risk there.
3: There is some projection there. I think, though, when you look at the rest of the defensive line, we talked about this, Jeremy, on on our locker room podcast, and, and we probably talked about it here as well. But the one relative strength that we saw on paper when it came to the defense was the defensive line. Like we all looked at we all looked there and said, if there's a unit that is more ready than any other unit on defense for the 2021 season, it's the defensive line. There's questions at cornerback. There's questions at linebacker. There's questions at safety. So I think what was ultimately surprising about this pick, first and foremost, was it was at a position that there was a perceived strength. So it was right. like, OK, so the Lions are going. This was my first indication. And it was like, all right, Lions going. They're going BPA. They're taking right. best player available. And, <clears throat> you know, Dane Brugler, um, you know, from The Athletic, he had a first slash second round grade on him, had him number twenty nine overall on his big board. So. Um, You know, that kind of coincides with Brad Holmes talking about potentially moving back up in the first round to get him.
4: Yeah,
3: Uh, I think it's interesting that the Patriots moved up to get Christian Barmore, an interior defensive lineman that a lot of people um, had pegged as the number one defensive tackle, whether or not that altered plans or Brad Holmes just had Levi number one on his board when it came to interior defensive lineman. But uh, I'm I'm excited about this pick because I I do think he played out of position like you watch him on tape that's not a guy who should be lining up over the center. That's a guy who should, they should let him pin his ears back and just get after the quarterback because he has all the athleticism in the world. Um, He's almost kind of like too athletic at times. It seems like uh, it it seems like he just needs to like stay off the ground because he, he's just way too eager at times, but that's something that I think the lions can hone. Um, And he, 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 the the one thing that I, I do love about draft weekend in general is just seeing the prospects reactions on Twitter mm-hmm. and like over the course of the weekend. Cause like Levi was like, he's like asking questions about kneecaps. He's like, what, you know, what the <laughs> hell is all this about? You he's know, he's, yeah, yeah, he's, he's all in. And um, I, uh, I'm, I'm excited about him as a prospect because the one last thing I'll say, Nick Williams is not the long-term solution for the right. Detroit lions.
2: Yeah. And that that's what I was going to jump in really quick and say is like, I don't think defensive tackle was ever viewed as a big need because the lines had bodies there, right? They just, they, ha- they have a guy who, who, you know, the last regime, you know, had high hopes for in, in Nick Williams, in Deshaun hand, and they, they went and got Michael Brocker. So they have guys there and, and they really have, you know, if, if you want to go two or three rounds deep, they, they have bodies there. They didn't at, at linebacker, which is why I think a lot of people were surprised by this pick when Jeremiah was was still on the board and, and people preferred that. But, but you're right. If you if you look down down the line, like I said, this is a long term bit rebuild. You look down the line. Michael Brockers is great, but he's probably only going to be in your roster for two years. Deshaun Hand's contract is up. Um, you know, uh, who who else is a long term? You know, player at defensive tackle. The only one other one signed beyond 2021 is uh, is uh, I almost said Pinesul uh, John Penasini. And I think that might lead us pretty well into our next pick.
1: Yeah, I before we do that, because you said you you brought up Jeremiah usu And look, I had been pounding the table insanely hard for JOK. He ends up going to the Cleveland Browns. But, um, you know, I, I, I kept thinking about it afterwards. And maybe this is me doing some copium a little bit. But also at the same time, again, talking to people smarter than me on the draft that, you know, I... It's funny. I wonder how much I the struggles of Isaiah Simmons being picked at for Arizona last year hurt JOK in that it's clear that NFL teams don't know what to do with tweener linebackers right now and JOK is a tweener. He he definitely he's able to Do quite a bit of pass rush, but I think some people see him in a lot of coverage role. So and I don't know if, you know, we we need to figure out what the Lions, what their vision is for their linebackers and their scheme for that. And yeah, you mentioned the next pick, Jeremy, and I think this is where I got over my despair over JOK because I started to see the plan come into place. And that was Aleem, Aleem McNeil out of NC state where you, you were talking about Levi playing out of position at nose tackle. Alan McNeil is built to play nose tackle.
2: Yeah, no question about it. And, and a lot of people maybe look at that pick and, and, and like say, you know, we, we got John Penasini. Why are we doing this? But John Penasini is a two gapping guy, which basically means he eats up space and tries to fill two gaps, two running gaps. So if you're in the middle, you're filling both a gaps. Um, that is not what the lines want to do anymore. That is not what he's capable of uh, that. That, it's not what Aleem McNeil is either. Aleem McNeil is again, pass rushing type. Um, Definitely still a big bodied guy that can stop the run, but he's got that quick first step. He's a guy that can just get up the field and, and also just draw the guy back. Like he's, he's strong. He's maybe a little bit smaller than a, 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 a Patriots nose tackle, but he's fast. Again, athleticism, 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 and he can rush the passer, drive the pocket in. And that's the one thing like, the Lions have had okay edge rushers over the past couple of years. They've gotten um, Trey Flowers. They've gotten um, o- Oquara, But they haven't had that guy that pushes the pocket from within that l- makes those guys' jobs a lot easier. And so combined with Levi, I think Aline McNeil makes a ton of sense and is, is a position of need even though they had a guy at nose tackle already.
1: And I think this is to uh to speak again, because you keep invoking you know, kind of the old regime too. like this is at the end of the day, the reason why this investment is needed is to get that change in philosophy, to go from, hey, yeah. we want to stop the run to, "Hey, we should be putting a hell of a lot more pressure up the middle on the on the passer," which is, in my mind, the right the right way to do it. But uh, Ryan, what are your thoughts here?
3: So the Lee McNeil, I think People will look at the pick and they'll say, well, they just took a defensive tackle. One, two, they're like, hey, this is a guy from NC State played in the ACC. Like what? I mean, what are the Lions really getting in him? This is a guy who in high school, he was six foot to 272 pounds,
1: played running back (laughs) and outfielder on his baseball team.
3: The only reason he stayed in, in in you know North Carolina was because that's where he was from. He got offers from Alabama. He got offers from Virginia Tech. He got offers from from you know Ohio State. Like this is a guy who was highly coveted coming out of high school, and then he goes to NC State. And you know last season was arguably his his most productive season for sure. I'm I'm just as excited about Ali McNeil as I am you know with with Levi. I, I, I think. Um, the, the one thing is the Lions got rid of Danny Shelton, right? Cap casualty. Yep. So I don't know if everybody was just like resigned and they were fine with John Penasini, a guy who was a six round pick because he made a few plays last year. Obviously, the Lions, when they looked at their defensive front, they said this needs to be beefed up and they did it on day two with two picks. And um, I'm I'm dude, I'm with it. Like I'm, I'm here. I'm here for. I'm here for big-bodied dudes. The
2: the one thing I want to say too is like I think some people might jump on your. He 2020 was his most. You said 2020 was his most productive year. Some people will point like, well, he only had one sack and he had nine through their first two seasons. But two things about that. One, the dude just got double teamed after double team after double team because the cat was out of the bag. Number two. Mm-hmm. He still put up an outstanding PFF grade. He still, in terms of pressures, was right on track. 11 pressures last year, 11 hurries compared to 10 the previous season. So he actually did improve in that. The sack numbers just didn't come. And we all know sack numbers can be a little finicky, especially from an interior defender.
3: For sure.
1: Yeah, like both these guys had late first round grades on them. And you pick them up on day two. And you get to completely philosophically overhaul your defensive line. For the better, for the better, this team has been dying for pass rush. This team has been dying for pass rush, and it can't just be Julian Aquara out there. It it needs to be it it uh, or it can't be the Aquar's out there. I, I'm, Jeremy, I'm I'm stumbling. I'm tired. Did I mean Romeo? Did <laughs> I mean Romeo or did I mean Julian? I'm gonna get the two I, confused. I can't jump inside your head. Let's just move okay. on to a fact. Either way, all I right. To yeah, to yeah, yes. I, I was going to. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, being adequate here. Uh, let's. Is that how you say the name? Ifatu. I, what? Ifatu, 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 Ifatu. Okay, okay. I, I, I've been trying to get the pronunciation names up, guides up, but I'm tired. Uh, the Lions have added two Nigerians on the defense. I think that brings the total Jeremy to seven, something like that. Between, I don't, I don't have and, my tracker. So up. between them, Okuda or Warier, and both uh, Okwara brothers. There you go. So I know Okuda was making a big deal of that on Twitter last night. But uh, they get a Fatou Milifonwu cornerback out of Syracuse with pick 101 and some help maybe for the defensive backs. Although, Jeremy, as you said, an outside corner. So Lions weren't really too much in need for that. It wasn't that pressing of a need. But what do you think the Lions are getting with with Milifonwu?
2: I mean, it. It. This is a, a purely, at least to me, a a value pick. And and Brad Holmes basically said as much. He, he was shocked to see him there at the end of day two. So they just grabbed him. And I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm intrigued by him. Um, he's got all the physical tools again. Um, speedy dude, tall dude, long. Um, what is he, 6'2", or something like that. So um, definitely built to be an NFL corner, I would think, on the outside. Some are talking about safety, and Brad Holmes admitted that that he could potentially pay safety, could potentially slide inside. Um, but he also said, you know, a lot of people have labeled Ifatu Malafanu as a press corner because of that size, as someone who can and play press, press coverage really well. But he said <laughs> what he really fell in love with Malafanu was looking at the film, suddenly he's off coverage. He found him to be the short, he saw the short area quickness, he saw the ability to kind of stick with guys on the side and stay in phase. Um, but he still didn't put it really all together at, in college. Um, it, he, you know, his his production is not there. He doesn't have a lot of pass breakups, doesn't have a lot of getting his hands on the ball. So I think, again, it, it's it's taking the physical skill sets that he sees in in pockets, and he's trusting his coaching staff to build that guy up. And so I don't think this guy is, is necessarily a starter in week one. But he's going to be there in competition. He's going to, you know, push a guy like Amani Oruarie, who everyone knows I apparently hate. And I'm just kidding. I don't hate him. Um, but it, it's it's going to build competition. I mean, Quentin Dunbar's there as well. So um, there, there's it's going to be a very interesting kind of camp battle to, to keep your eye on. And I'm not sure where he fits in in year one. But um, if the Lions really trust their, their coaching staff, and we know they, they definitely do, I think he's a guy that could, you know, definitely build into that CB2 role aside uh, Jeff Okuda.
3: Yeah, I I think the Melifonwu pick was was interesting from the perspective that it it kinda clued us into what kind of cornerbacks that Brad Holmes might like um on the outside because you think about, you know, the Dunbar acquisition that you just mentioned, Jeremy, that's another guy who's six foot two, you know, two hundred and five pounds. Uh pretty pretty similar in terms of build to, to Melifonwu, but you know I the, the one thing that stood out to me, I was, I was watching the ESPN telecast and everybody's favorite GM that still isn't a GM. Louis Riddick was doing their draft coverage. <laughs> he 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 said that this guy is going to be a star. Like he was like very adamant, like a former defensive back, Louis Riddick, whatever. Take take it for what it's worth. OK, he's a talking head on ESPN. But he was like pounding the table for like how how sure he was that Melifonwu is going to put it all together. Um, And you know what? he couldn't be coming to a better situation, right? I mean, Aaron Glenn, this is your opportunity to show that, Hey, maybe if you don't have, you know, Marshawn Lattimore, if you don't have guys like Janoris Jenkins, like can can you make, can you make these guys into something that this team desperately needs? And um, I, I'm with you, Jeremy. I don't think Melifan is a guy who I look at and say is going to start week one is going to even maybe start week 12 he might not start at all. He might just see some some you know situational things uh, in terms of his play. Does that bother me that the Lions did that for a guy that they got in the third round? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because I think they first need to figure out what they have at the the top of their depth chart, and Mel- Melifanu fits in from a long term perspective.
2: Yeah, and I, I think the main gripe that people have for the pick is is just like they don't feel the the value met the need there. And again. I I think this is just a this is just Brad Holmes saying who cares is, about need? <laughs> who cares about need? Yeah, because you know, uh you look at Dan Brugler, he has around 2 grade on this guy. But I don't know, you look you look at a guy like Ambry Thomas who's literally the next pick. He, Ambry Thomas might start at nickel if he was on the Lions. But who cares again? I mean, I,
3: it, at the I mean, same time they signed Cornelder,
2: right? right? Like- they 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 have a body there, but again, it's all about the long-term rebuild and if you get an, a good outside corner that you think could you know be your cb2 alongside jeff okuda it's probably more valuable than a nickel corner and and again we're, we're talking about value long term we're not talking about value in 2021 because you don't build in the draft for the immediate you build for the draft in the future and if the line's got a cb2 on of melafonmu instead of a, a, a day one starting nickel corner who who may or may not be good but it's clearly value but it's clearly below the um on, on Brad Holmes's board, well, then I'm OK with that.
1: Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to get into day three and a, a guy I'm extremely excited to talk about. Almost too excited to talk about. Because I get to feel smart when talking about this guy. And we're going to give final uh, thoughts on the draft. Obviously, you know we we'll get all the rounds from day th- day three. I know Ryan has a uh, some very good parting thoughts. You don't want to miss those. We'll close up shop here next on the Pride of Detroit POD Cast. Third segment, third block on the Pride of Detroit POD cast. Thanks for sticking with us. This has been an insane, very long and very fun draft season here. And um, I get it. You don't win championships by winning the draft. But uh, damn, I mean, Lions get to be included. And it feels fun, Jeremy. It feels very fun to do the draft every year.
2: Yeah. And, and we're actually getting good feedback nationally. Lions had a, a top seven draft class. If you if you. St- Cram all of the draft grades together. Lions had a top seven draft class. You look at the value and in terms of what it compared to um, some consensus mock boards, mock or I'm sorry, consensus big boards, uh, Lions were top six, I think, in terms of getting value out of every pick. So um, people are excited
1: about the Lions draft class, even even some outside of Detroit. Absolutely, yeah, and I'm excited about our next guy here. So we move into day four, and we are talking about at pick 112 out of USC, out of the University of Southern California, Amon Ra St. Brown, wide receiver.
2: I uh I don't know, like I I don't think I'm quite as high on this pick as a lot of people. I, I thought it was funny that Brad Holmes said like, yeah, I finally got people off my ass by by drafting a wide receiver. <laughs> um, But it I it almost feels like he force this one a little bit. I'm not like I, I'm not trying to hate on him. I think I think he's got extremely good hands. He's a great contested catch, catch you know, um receiver. And I think he's gonna be a red zone weapon. And I actually think he probably starts day one because the Lions don't have a slot guy and now they do. Um but he's not a guy that really does anything particularly great. He's not bad at anything. He's got good hands, but he's not that twitchy. He's he's certainly not super fast. Um so he's not you know that option where he's just gonna beat people downfield up the middle. Um, but you know, he's got a little short area quickness to him and he's got, he's got decent hands and we're talking fourth round here. So you're, I mean, you're not going to get a perfect prospect here. Um, the, the value is not horrible. Some people have had him going in day two. So, um, you know, in, in terms of a, a consensus, I think this is a, a good value, but I'm, I'm just not expecting the world out of this guy. And I think, um, maybe some Lions fans need to temper expectations a little bit.
3: That's fair. That's fair. Um, as you were describing who St. Brown is, and I think some people have kind of made this comparison, but um, it just sounds like you're describing Golden Tate. Like, I, I wouldn't say that Golden Tate like had twitchy athleticism. I wouldn't say that he was a guy that did anything particularly great. Like, I mean, like, yes, he was incredible, like yards after the catch. Yeah. Um, he was a yak monster from from that perspective, but like, he wasn't a guy that like went out there and was like, wow, that guy's a burner or like, wow, that guy's, you know, one what? of the top five route runners in the NFL. What? Like he no. was just a guy who like went out there, caught passes and like did damage after the catch. So, um, and I've seen a lot of comparisons also to, to Cooper cup as well. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's something that really speaks volumes to, to Brad Holmes, you know, somebody who um, was director of college scouting when he was with the Rams and they selected Cooper cup. So, um, I like Saint Brown. Um, you know, take a look at Dane Brugler's draft guide. Second to third round grade had him actually as uh, his number uh, sixty-seven overall um, prospect. PFF had a third round grade on him. I'm, I mean, I'm excited about it. I, I think, I, I think, kind of like Brad Holmes. Like finally, he was able to like get everybody off his ass because he drafted a wide receiver. And I, I don't think that there was a point in the draft where the Lions needed to pick a receiver, so this is just an opportunity where I think value really met the pick. And and the the one thing
2: I'll say before I, I let Chris take I know he's he's chomping at the bit to to talk about him, his USC guy. The the one thing that I think maybe helped Brad Holmes fall in love with this guy is the character because I think this guy is an elite character. Um, he's a dude who I mean, all you have to do is listen to him in talk about anything he's super smart um and he's he's a captain he he's again he's got that kind of like eagerness that you saw him at the end of day two um there was that picture of him just catching footballs because he's just like he's from the jug machine yeah yeah yeah. he's he's that kind of high character hardworking guy that's going to give it you give it your all and 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 uh, could could develop into a leader on this offense honestly um i just have some issues with with his actual play in the field
1: so you mentioned him showing you him everyone him working out after he was passed over on day two um that's a hell of a family to get that kind of competitive fire from so his brother in case you haven't put the dots together is equiminius saint brown who plays for the saints he also has a third brother osiris saint brown who is right now i believe with stanford his father is john saint Brown, two-time mr universe who apparently also likes to sing foreigner in the car to <laughs> annihilate the brains of his children in the falsetto. I, 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 I I don't know. I I watched him at USC, as you say, super high character. He, he got first team conference accolades. Uh, he lines up in both on the wide out and the slot. I know in 2019, that's where he's probably getting the most attention because he had like 844 uh, sna- uh, uh, snaps from, from the slot there. But, you know, uh, other years, it was about, it was about even that he wind out there. I like the Golden Tate comparison. I will say this, whereas Golden Tate was probably good at getting yak, you're getting more of a contested ca- catch guy with St. Brown. You will watch him, you know, have great explosion off the line And then he will go and tie up a defender in the red zone. And then just as that defender is trying to just dance around him, he's just, he will like lunge out for a catch, bring it in for the touchdown. He is just, he's, he's not the most speedy, but he has good athleticism. If that makes sense. He knows how to use his body. He knows how to use it. Well, he knows how to like really rile up defenders and yeah, like, look, it's it, you're not getting an out of this world wide receiver. It's the fourth round, but the Lions could really use a weapon like that. And e- even even before the wide receiver core went to crap, um, we've seen when good slot receivers can really turn things around and really do great work turning long drives into s- six points. And everything about, I mean, I think Amon Ra is going to probably start day one. And in between the character, between the athleticism, between the muscle he brings, it's hard for me not to just USC bias aside, it is hard for me to not look at this and say, All right, this is like the fact that you are getting a potential starter in the on day three is impressive.
2: I I can buy that and and there there are some I, I don't want to come down as a you know a hater of this pick or anything because the the tape that I've watched on him I I really like what he can do in the red zone because one with that mm. contested catch like you could
1: potentially run fades with him he's not really the the tallest also guy great, out there he, he also gives you a lot of great value for blocking in yes. the slot too he is yes. like I think the best like blocking wide receiver in this draft well and and i i don't even think it's necessarily his form that
2: makes him such a good blocker it's again it's the character It's that he's willing it's that he's not you're not going to see him take a lot of plays off you're going to see him sell sell route and if not sell a route he's going to try to put the guy on his ass and um again that's that's what i think brad holmes is falling in love with a little bit but it's also the, the the short area quickness i really noticed like you run well, the most popular plays in the NFL now. When you're on the one and two yard line, are slants, right? Like quick slants, mm-hmm. and that's something I think Amara St. Brown actually does pretty well. And so he can get open. And and you know against press coverage, it's all about making those contested catches. There's going to be a guy draped all over you, and he's a guy I think uh, that that has the hands that that'll bring those balls in.
1: Yeah, very surefire hands. And 58 targets in 2020, he only had I think two drops. And he's just very good uh, on the contested. Like Ryan said it there, like Golden Tate good on the yak is to Amon Ra on the contested catch.
3: Yeah. This is a guy who's been productive ever since he stepped foot on USC too. I mean, as a, as I mean, he was a five-star recruit. So there were a lot of expectations that, that came with that, but caught 60 passes when he was a freshman and then followed it up his sophomore season with a, you know, a thousand yard season where he had 18 broken tackles. So like, he does have some golden date to him where he can make the first guy miss and then, you know, do something else downfield. So, um, yeah, I I like it. I mean, you could you could do way worse with with a fourth round pick. Let me let me ask the question, though,
2: because I think a lot of people see this pick and they wonder, OK, well, what what about Quintus Cephas? They're they're kind mm-hmm. of similar in in, in skill set a little bit and and they're probably fighting for the same starting job. So does the pick then become redundant or is there something that you think Amon St. Brown St. Brown, brings that the Quinn Cephas doesn't.
1: So, I mean, he's, he's, I think he's flexible. He can play both slot and wide out. So, and look right now on this roster, there's more than enough room for both in my mind, St. Brown and Cephas. Sure. Like this is not a very deep uh, wide receiver depth chart. And a lot of these guys are on short-term contracts too. So it's, I, I, I think I, you're right in that they do fill similar roles. And I'm trying to figure out a way to explain why I think the upside on Amon Ross St. Brown is more is higher than Cephas without sounding like a total USC homer. And I can't do that right now. Do, do you have but an I believe idea,
3: Ryan? It? Um, you know, I think Chris touched on it and it's just that this wide receiver room is going to be competitive from, Tyrell Williams to Brashad Perryman, all the way down. Like it's gonna be, it's it, it truly, it's gonna be feast or famine. Like if you want to step out and you want to show out and you want to earn a spot for the twenty twenty two Detroit Lions, like go do it. And I think, gotta earn it, yeah, yeah. I I think, I think that there's plenty there. There are a bevy of opportunities for for everybody to succeed um, and to earn. uh, You know earn a longer
1: look. All right. Well, we've gone long there. Thank you for indulging me in that. But I think that is kind of the more, in, that is the most interesting day three pick. Uh, we have two more picks to talk about. Derek Barnes, linebacker out of Purdue. Do you have any notes about him, Jeremy? Lions do need a linebacker, but this is pretty late in the draft. So.
2: Um, yeah. I mean, well, the first thing we got to talk about is them trading up to get him. Um, they, yes. they spend a, they send their fifth round pick and a twenty twenty fourth fourth round pick to the Browns to get their um, this fourth round pick, which is right after obviously the pick of of Amonra St. Brown and a seventh round pick. So I, I, you know, I'm I'm generally against trade ups, but in this one, the lines didn't lose a pick. They in fact kind of gained one this year, although they lose one next year. Um, But you're basically, you're swapping this year's fourth for next year's fourth or the other way around. And you're turning a, a fifth into a seventh. And to me, that's, that's not that's not paying all that much. That's fine. My question is just the guy that they got, and I, I don't want to take anything away from Derek Barnes. Again, you're getting a very gritty guy, uh, a, a guy who loves the game of football, a guy whose character um, means you're going to get the, the 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 toughest version of this guy on the field every time he steps up there. But again, it's projection. It's it's a lot like um, it's a lot like the Levi Enzurike pick, in which you're you're hoping that the physical traits translate into um a, a good NFL player and so you're relying again on your coaching staff a lot and maybe there's a little bit of hubris happening there maybe um the the confidence in your coaching staff is real but the lines are getting speedy at linebacker which is the the headline of this pick they're finally getting someone with speed the question though is can he drop back into coverage can he do some normal linebacker stuff cuz at Purdue for the first couple of years he was an edge defender and he's far too small to do that at this level so um i think early on you're going to see him contribute in special teams but Coverage-wise, he didn't do it at Purdue, so we don't know if he can do it. Just because he has the athletic traits to do it doesn't mean he can do it because, I don't know, think of a guy on the Lions linebacking court for the past few years who had all the athletic traits but couldn't drop back into coverage. Can you think of any names? Maybe, maybe one or two that pop out? <laughs> mm.
3: I would say a premier free agent who signed with the New York Jets, according to, yeah. to Ian Rappaport. Um, yeah. but
2: but i mean we' again we're talking about the fourth round um he, he definitely feels a need he's he's going to play he will probably play a little bit in his in his rookie season i don't think he's going to be a starter um but you you try to coach him up um you you try to get as much as you can out of these physical traits and you hope that he he learns he's certainly going to have the motivation to learn and so i don't i don't hate the pick but it's it's again it's it's a little more projection than i'd like to be aggressive to trade up and get this guy seems a little bit eager Uh, over eager maybe to get someone who uh, who's going to take some time.
1: All right. Now let's wrap up here. Seventh round pick. As you said, the Lions got one of those in this trade and that turns into pick 257 Jamar Jefferson running back out of Oregon state. My only question to Jeremy is, is this still too high to take a running back for you? (laughs) It's not. No, I'm
2: perfectly fine with this pick. Uh, So Jamar,
1: yeah, Jamar, Thought he would go sooner and maybe, but, uh, yeah, tell, tell, tell me what you think on the pick. I mean, uh, most people had a draftable grade on him. So,
2: you know, picking him as a third to last pick. Sure. Fine. That's fine. Um, uh, he's kind of in, in the same way that, uh, Ra St. Brown is a, is, a you know, a master of none type of, of guy. Uh, that's kind of how I, I view, um, this pick just Jamar is, is a guy who he, a lot of people are are already drawing comparisons to Theo Riddick and, and I get it. Um, there is some of that short area quickness and and juke and and things like that, but he doesn't have breakaway speed. He's got really good vision. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm eager to see how he plays out. I just kind of prefer, would prefer when you're picking this late, at least get a guy with as much upside that he can play special teams. Um, I don't know if, if he'll be the special teams guy. Um, the one thing that, that I think it was him, uh, forgive me if I'm mixing guys up, but I, I believe it was him who said, you know, he didn't play special teams in college, but he sat in on special teams meetings at the, uh, at the uh, request of of one of his coaches because he knew that was going to be his way in at at the professional level. Um, I just don't know if he has those skills yet. So it's kind of a wait and and see thing with him, but you're just taking shots in the darks at seven. and, And that was a position of need in terms of just filling out the roster. They only had three.
3: The Lions running back room grew by one. Analysis. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i
1: <laughs> there's maybe an outside chance i think he, ch- he challenges carry on johnson but outside of that like it's uh but it's whatever I mean, but i hate I mean, to do K- that but
3: carry K- yeah. on has something to hang his head on he's mm-hmm. one of the best pass protectors the body of, of work in, yeah. in the nfl so you know jefferson doesn't have that yet jefferson has to come in and really i mean he has to make the team i i wouldn't say that he's a lock to make the team at all
1: yeah i agree i agree um two quick undrafted free agent names I want to give to you guys here real quick. I know Jeremy doesn't want to even look at these right now, but these were two um I know Ryan from some of the mock drafts we were doing. I know Sage surratt kept coming up wide receiver out of Wake Forest. Um I think I I saw Lions fans very excited about that cuz I think surratt had a very draftable a lot of people were mocking him with a very draftable grade. So, and I know he had a 1000-yard receiving season as a sophomore. It'll be uh He opted out last year. So it'll be interesting to see what he can maybe do. I, again, it's a deep wide receiver room. We'll just have to see what happens there.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say my, my only notes on the, on the UDFA class is is noting what positions they got because they got a (laughs) couple of running backs who are going to compete with now uh, Jamar Jefferson for uh, that RB four spot. And they got three wide receivers. Uh, Sage Charat is, is definitely going to be in competition for a roster spot, but I think mm-hmm. Javon McKinley out of Notre Dame, a guy who reportedly got a hundred thousand guaranteed. Like that's what you look for in this UD in UDFA classes. You look for where the money went, the guaranteed money went and a hundred thousand dollars guaranteed for Javon McKinley out of Notre Dame tells you that that is a guy that they see could definitely make this roster.
3: You know, we Jeremy posed the question about, you know, Amon Ross ain't Brown and whether or not it's a redundant pick with, um, you know Quintez Cephas on on the roster. Sage Surratt is Quintez Cephas. Like he's a big slot option. Ran a four six nine forty. I mean he like he is Quintez Cephas essentially at the next level. So, um, that th- that's the mode of competition I see. Like if if Sage Surratt wants if Sage Surratt wants to make the roster, he needs to outperform Quintez Cephas.
1: Other than that, they got a couple of uh, linemen. I think they picked up who was a Tommy Kramer guard out of Notre Dame as well. I think they picked up. Did they pick up? No, they just they didn't pick up another lineman. But I think they picked up a tight end. I think also. They out got of a Notre center. Dame. Drake, Drake, Drake they, Jackson. Center, yeah, Drake Jackson and then Brock Wright tight end out of Notre Dame. So they got some depth at those positions. The only other note I would say is. D'Angelo Amos, safety out of Virginia. Um, before he transferred to Virginia, he played at James Madison. He returned five punts for a touchdown. So maybe, maybe if he maybe he plays well in training camp, he probably may, he may, he can maybe be an outside look to make the roster for special teams play. I think uh, the team needs some special teams play. Uh, Jeremy, especially now that they don't have Jamal Agnew. So we'll see.
2: I mean, if 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 he's in the the kick punt returner game then then yeah i think he has an outside chance to make the roster but the Lions actually do in terms of safeties the one thing they do have that safety are guys that can play special teams that's true yeah um yeah i I think i think you you probably have to find a a different path to the roster if you're just you know planning on being a gunner or um you know punt coverage that sort of thing um but you guys want to talk about where the roster is now um really quick before we get out of here and maybe yeah just final get done
1: Yeah. Final thoughts. I want to turn over to Ryan first because um, Ryan uh, had a great tweet thread and I always like when I can turn tweet threads into podcast content. So, um, Ryan, can I just give the floor to you for a couple minutes?
3: Yeah, for sure. Do you want me to start at the top of my tweet thread? I'm just going to read it word for word. Are you going to read it word
1: for word? You can (laughs) you can adapt it for the spoken word. You don't need to do that. I'll
3: adapt it. But um, I think, you know, observing Lions Twitter during the draft was uh, for lack of a better term, it was a hellscape in terms of just <laughs> trying to wade through all the minutia and like trying to just get like the content that I really wanted. Um, I really should work on just like, you know, working on uh, getting like a beat reporters uh, tab. But anyways, um, it's difficult to follow the draft when you're on a bus ride home from North Branch uh, track and field meet at, you know, eight o'clock at night. But all that withstanding, um, a lot of people just complaining about the direction of the draft and two things I want to say to that point. One is that if, if, if you're in year one of a rebuild and this is the first off season and you're worried or you're concerned that the GM isn't picking the players that you want, you should probably decide whether or not you are capable as a fan of going through a rebuild. Like this is going to take time. It's, Brad Holmes is not going to be able to pay for the sins of Bob Quinn and company in just one off season and if the free agency uh exhibition wasn't enough to clue you in on that, like welcome to draft season and it really slapped all of you in the face so that's what I have to say ab- about that um the The second point I want to make is how how can people bemoan and complain about the strategy when you literally watched Bob Quinn reach for players like Tease Tabor, reach for players like Jelani Tavai because they were schematic fits. And a, quite a few of you talked your asses into it. When Brad Holmes goes the complete opposite direction and says, hey, I'm going to draft athletic best player available because I'm at the beginning of a rebuild. So all of you are left scratching your heads when when they take two defensive tackles. Because, like, uh, I'm not a tape junkie, but, like, just read. Do a, do a little bit of reading. Do a little bit of watching and see that, yes, uh, on like, he played nose tackle at Washington, but he doesn't project there because he's going to be a three-tech. And that's why they drafted a nose tackle, because they need both of those kinds of players. And also, where were you when they got rid of Danny Shelton? Like the Lions, you're going to you're going to go into the season and say, hey, we're cool with our nose tackle just being John Penasini. A guy that wasn't drafted by this regime. So understand that, like, there's a changing of the guard and rebuilds don't happen overnight. And if you were interested in the Lions drafting for need, you are really just interested in them, you know, repeating the same sins that they've done in the past. That's all I got to say.
1: Yeah, look, I I think a lot of I you're 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 right in that, in that like this is going to take a minute. And I don't think fans are ready for that right now. I think fans were expecting to compete like maybe right away. This is not when 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 Bob Quinn came in, when Patricia came in, it was to go to the next level. This is to clean up a massive mess that has been left where your quarterback has left, you uh, you know uh calvin johnson pieced out a while ago you've lost whatever vaunted defense it's been a minute since this team's good i don't know how you look at the last few years and be like yeah this is just you know a couple pieces away this team's going to be really strong and that was something i was getting from a lot of draft guys too is like we're, we're really understating how bad this lions roster is right now it needs all the fresh blood it can get and well, from a Not national t- perspective, too, real quick, Chris, is yeah. that
3: everybody looks at the Lions roster and they just go, it's a wasteland. Like there's just a yeah. dearth. There's a dearth of talent like it, like the Lions just don't have any talented players. So what did Brad Holmes do? He went out and he drafted the best players available at the spot that he was picking. Like that was I mean, he went out to go get talent because this team has very limited amount of it.
1: No, I agree with that. Like, it's a term I want to use from a national guy when I was stumping for the Lions during last season. He said, you're kind of too close to the grass, Chris. You're, You're looking at only your roster and like you don't realize compared to everyone else, it's not good at all and i think maybe some fans are still too close to the grass and see their guys and see the upside on their guys and realize that upside probably isn't being shared by a lot of other people the the only other thing i want to add and this is kind of the rant against lions twitter too is like i can't understand again i mentioned before i can't understand the justin the sudden massive overwhelming love for justin fields that is now pouring out and that the lions have made a terrible decision to pass up on justin fields and again i think a lot of that is because the bears came up and got him and i think lions fans are so arrested that they're terrified about seeing justin fields two sundays every year look maybe justin fields turns into a good guy but there's going to be more quarterbacks coming in these classes. This isn't, it's not going to be a wasteland after that. The the project, as Ryan keeps pointing out, t- is going to take a while. And I mean, let's, I, let's be honest. I feel like Justin Fields is getting the benefit of an incredible, had the benefit of an incredibly good pro day and some very, which turned into a lot of recency bias that people saw that explosive pro day and lost their minds for. It. And the fact that, the 49ers with their pick of quarterbacks right there took took uh, uh trey lance over justin fields that brad holmes had trey lance but wouldn't go for justin fields that the denver broncos who insanely need a quarterback took patrick sertan rather than justin fields like that i i don't i i'm not saying that he's a bad guy by any any means but that's telling you that he he's maybe not the can't miss quarterback that you think he is. If if someone that is so desperate as the Denver Broncos are passing up on him, like, I don't know, man. I, I just and I just I, I find it just it's, it's frustrating because, again, we've seen how this team does with a bad offensive line. Stafford has been sacked when he was here, was sacked so many damn times that the fact is you have one of the best offensive tackle uh, prospects in your lap. Uh, one of the best pro- prospects for a few years in your lap. I, regardless who the quarterback is, that's going to pay dividends. The The only point
2: I have to add to all this discussion, and it's kind of this narrative that I think is a little bit false um, about this Lions draft class is that like they went in wanting to get the line short up. They went in thinking mm-hmm. we got to, we got to go in here and we got to fix the defensive line. We got, that's how you build a team is through the trenches. I don't think that was necessarily the plan. Yes, that's how it worked out. But no, I think Brad Holmes was sticking his, to his board the entire way. That's what the I mean, best
1: value was. Yeah. yeah,
2: the best value at each pick. And that's what he said at the end of day one. He said, listen, if we go into day two and the, the best player available is an offensive lineman, we're going to take an offensive lineman. If it's a defensive lineman, we're going to take a defensive lineman. If it's a corner, we're going to take a corner. And this goes back to my entire point that I've been making for months, which is that you don't draft for immediate need. There are so many things we kept asking people asked, do you mind? What if the lines double up at a position? Sure. Fine. If that's what the talent is at. Great. Because the line, who, who are the, who were the building blocks of this team before the draft? You, you had maybe a handful Julian Romeo acquired. Now you got me doing it. Um, Taylor Decker, Taylor Decker Frank, Frank rag now, probably Jonah Jackson. And am, am I done? Hawkinson and Okuda, maybe. And the Lions didn't draft anyone at those positions, I'm pretty sure, unless I'm missing somebody. And so that means they drafted for need because everything was a freaking need. And so it wasn't this plan of we got to build from the inside out. It was this is where the best players are and we need players, period. And in the meantime, they got guys that were gritty, guys that are going to be absolute um, character fits that are going to love the, the head coach, which, I mean, that doesn't hurt getting, getting, imagine that getting players that are going to like your head coach.
1: <laughs> also guys who just seem fun to root for, man. Like how yeah, Sewell, right. you, you were talking about how you were infected by Sewell's attitude on, on the yep. press conference with him. And, uh, <laughs> Onzerike. Onzerike is just <laughs> dropping F-bombs nonstop. Like all these guys, seem like really cool guys to root for as fans if nothing else but they also seem to all be really good players too yeah
2: and and chad is pointing out that i miss deandre swift too yes deandre swift centerpiece for three or four years because running backs uh, don't last that long
3: well i was gonna say hold on <laughs> how, how how i mean how many foundational running backs are there in the nfl like Not i mean many. Derrick Henry,
1: and then... hmm. Well, I
3: mean, like, Saquon Barkley got hurt. Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey got hurt. I mean, you're talking about guys who missed significant time. Like, if you're counting on a running back to save your season,
1: yikes. Yeah. I don't want to give it a grade because I feel like for any class, we're kind of due recency on it. Like, I I agree it's a good class. You want to see them pan out, but I'm also allowed to sit here and say that this looked pretty damn good, Jeremy.
2: Listen, I'm I'm happy with it. I'm happy that, that Brad Holmes stuck to to his guns there. Um there there might be some individuals that I disagree on, but um time will tell, and I'm I'm certainly humble enough to know that I'm wrong more often than not when it comes to draft, as is pretty much everybody. I mean, when we're talking about third, fourth, fifth round picks, the hit rate isn't great. So um
3: mm-hmm. you know, you know I, who I'm, is you know whose hit rate is good in the third, fourth, and fifth round? Brad Holmes. Hey,
2: well,
1: yeah, this was but, the this was need the, via <laughs> Yeah. yeah. But this was this was a class where Brad Holmes got to show off his scouting chops for sure. Yeah. And we'll with, see with some we'll of the value out. he was getting, because like, again, like a guy like Alan McNeil and all of a sudden, you know, I've got, you know, a former pro, Brett Whitefield and Kent in my ear saying this was a first round grade on this guy. Like. Fantastic. Value, 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 money, 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 this, money, this money, 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 the little Caesars of drafts. <laughs> i that, please don't please not, don't disparage that does not sound it that like way a compliment i immediately no, no, take no. it back all right no, take it take it
3: back and say that we, this we, we was got him. this was brad holmes playing supermarket sweep and he went straight for the hams <laughs> There
1: you Liter- go. literally <laughs> the ham draft i think that might be the title of this podcast uh thank you guys everyone who's been watching pride of detroit uh over the past week i'm i'm happy to just as a personal note that uh I don't know. I feel very, I feel very up uh, this week and uh, I don't have to worry about certain things that I've expressed worries about before. And it's, uh, I don't know. I, when, when that happened, I felt lighter about this and it's, it's great, man. Lions didn't do a bad, lions did good things here.
2: The lions didn't do a bad. That's the, that's the, that's my, my headline for tomorrow for Monday morning, my Monday morning column, (laughs) the lions Lions didn't didn't blow
1: it. The lions didn't blow it. (laughs) Thank you, guys. This has been an amazing draft season. We have a lot planned for the offseason. Jeremy and I have been talking about guests to talk about that will maybe hopefully continue to talk you up on Panay Sewell. We're going to probably have some fun podcasts on the offseason. Mailbag stuff is going to come back. Uh, I'm going to keep doing these haikus, and the long slog to training camp now is on, Jeremy. Hey, schedule release in a week and a half. That's exciting. It is. It is. And I really want to know when Lions Rams is because I am going to go to that game in person. I have not been to an NFL game uh, since the Thanksgiving game where the Lions steamrolled the Eagles and Mark Sanchez. And I think that was Ryan. Was that 2015?
3: Might have been. Sounds about right. I don't know.
1: yeah, I just I remember I went with Alex and Jerry and somehow all three of us in sat in very different sections and all three of us had fights with the Eagles fans. So. Sounds but, par for the course. Yeah, pretty much. All right, guys. Well, we're out of here again. One more time, the outpouring for everything we've been doing at Pride Detroit, especially on Podcast cast and on the Twitch stream and YouTube stream has been amazing. You guys kick so much ass and we're going to keep kicking ass into the off season. This is one of the big, uh, t- milestones in our, in our yearly calendar for POD and, um, great success, Jeremy.
2: It's about to get dirt! Tur- yeah. We-, get. We-,
1: we will see you star side.